Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. It is August the 31st, 2021. Uh, I suspect that is going to turn out to be a date that, hoping not to overstate it here, lives in some kind of infamy, not only here in the United States of America, but in world history as well. Um, A pivot has taken place in what has been described as America's forever war, um, and with it, a moment of confusion on the world stage. Um, If you were to think about what happens on the world stage as a drama, the lead character, which has been um, manifested by the United States since at least World War II, but probably since World War I, the United States of America's position is most certainly contested, if not now fully conceded. And there are other actors now vying for the lead. It's a change of roles that everyone who has been watching world history saw coming. And yet it's uncomfortable. It's somewhat frightening to watch as the world moves together into what I will describe as an unscripted, unrehearsed, unchoreographed drama in which there are lots of bad actors. So the focus is rightly on Afghanistan. But there are numerous subplots unfolding off camera in the shadowy places around the world where bad actors are taking advantage of the spotlight shining elsewhere. And I think in the midst of all of this, we must never forget God's equal concern for every person in every place where evil prevails over good, where the weak are subjected to the Darwinian schemes of the strong And so on the eve of the month in which we will commemorate the 20th anniversary of 9-11, which for many of us is sort of the most memorable, pivotal event in terms of the American history we have lived, the Biden administration has announced that America's, quote, military mission in Afghanistan is over. You will hear that described by some media as the end of America's longest war. Let me suggest to you that... um, Wars never end. They pause. They are muted for a period of time. They don't end. The Korean conflict is technically still not ended. And I don't know if you've noticed, but fascism was actually not eradicated at the end of World War II. The last member of the U.S. military, yes, boarded the last U.S. military transport plane out of Afghanistan. True. And as that plane was wheels up, members of the Taliban wearing U.S. military gear were seen firing U.S. weapons into the air in front of abandoned and presumably disabled U.S. military aircraft that we left behind. But also left behind some Americans. Numbering how many seems unclear. The Secretary of State has said it's as few as 100. However, others uh, say it's a few hundred. 
at least one of whom is known to have been taken hostage by the Taliban a number of months ago and whose freedom the U.S. did not secure before leaving the country. Those are stories you are going to hear today. We heard from the Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, last night that the U.S. diplomatic agenda will now be pursued from an embassy not within Afghanistan, but from the safety of Qatar. The world is now relying on the Qataris and the Turks to secure and operate the civilian airport in Kabul. And those hoping to leave after the withdrawal of the some hundred countries who participated in the airlift must now count on the Taliban to keep its word Um, Even as it, which I would describe as one insurgent group, now fends off many other insurgent groups, including ISIS-K and al-Qaeda, both of which, by conservative counts, have thousands of fighters in the country. A country where we spent 20 years and hundreds of billions of dollars and more than 1,500 American lives doing what? Eradicating al-Qaeda, ISIS, and the Taliban. Those three will now vie for leadership for control, for governance of a land where empires, several empires, a succession of empires have failed uh, to bring change. It's difficult to describe the entire thing as anything short of a failure, but let us not lose the footing of our faith in the midst of a drama which is unfolding, a drama which has been unfolding since the Garden of Eden. It's playing out in our generation in this particular way. So we can talk about relative peace, we can talk about days of relative peace, but let's remember that in each one of those eras of relative peace, there have been people who did not have the privilege of living at peace. And so let's not despair today. Let us ardently pray. Let us seek together the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Let us sow peace. Let us do our part. Let us serve our neighbors. And let us pray. Up next, we've got Nick Pitts. He and I are going to cover some of the headlines of the day. We'll be right back. All right, joining me now, Nick Pitts. He's a fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement. Welcome back, sir. How are you? So good to be with you, Carmen. Good morning. Good morning. All right. Hey, um, science has proved out that you are special. Um, oh, my tell goodness, me, Carmen. Tell me why today. Well, you know, I've always grown up hearing from my mother that I'm special. I've always believed that I was special. and It's true. Go. It's true. Oh, it's we confirm this. as much. It's proven this, and so I was vaccinated back in March of this year, and lo and behold, I'm one of the 0.1% of vaccinated individuals here in the country that have gotten a breakthrough case of COVID. So was tested positive on Thursday of this past week, and um, I cannot imagine what it was like should I not have been vaccinated, um, but I had a relatively mild case, and I'm in quarantine right now, but um, I'm in good spirits and progressing better and better by the day. So, All right. Is quarantine now like it was the first time around? Like, you know, no contact, somebody's like putting door, putting food at a door, and you're opening it and taking it and not having contact with anybody, or is quarantine oh, different yeah. today? 
I am I am praising God for Uber Eats, uh, to say the least, <laughs> and DoorDash, um, and so I am eating. I am eating uh, uh, that from whatever their hand gives me in orders, and yeah, I just kind of sit in my room, and so it's been a. The first part fatigue was just a pretty significant um, a symptom, and so it was harder for me to read or really do anything productive. But uh, ever since probably about Saturday, it's just been, okay, let's figure out how to make this thing work. And so I've grown accustomed to my uh, little room and upstairs up here. All right. Well, you can commiserate with uh, Russell Moore. He uh, also has a breakthrough case and has been um, suffering along, but uh, I understand is doing better as well. So um, so you're not alone, but you are um, but you, but you are one among the few. All right. So yeah. let's pivot so one of the things, one of the storylines coming out of um, Afghanistan, actually, it's like lots of storylines related to these heroic efforts. Um, and I think those are worth discussing. Lots of subplots to most of these stories where private groups or private entities or um, certainly non-governmental agencies have been able to evacuate lots of people from Afghanistan um, I read one uh, about this Catholic priest and these nuns who have fled Afghanistan with some disabled children. So why don't you tell the story, and then we will talk about some of the sub-themes here. Yeah, absolutely phenomenal little story. This this um, this Pope John Paul II created this first little Catholic outpost in Afghanistan. It's important to note the religious scene in Afghanistan. It's illegal to convert um, from Islam to Christianity, uh, uh, there's been multiple reports of deaths that are put on someone's head um, should you convert. And so Pope, Pope John Paul created this little Catholic mission in 2002 and really was the work of charity, caring for disabled Afghans. And now we're, we're finding out a story about uh, 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 one of the workers and priests taking 14 disabled children, they're fleeing with the help um, and trying to save some of these, but obviously they did not get everyone. And so they were only able to take 14. What we know about the Taliban is um, in recent days, they have put a head, they put a number on the head of individuals that are operating outside of the, their version of Islam and um, have said that they are coming for them and they are coming for their lives as well. And so um, in an effort to save their lives as well as to save what we also know about the Taliban, having a low regard for um, human lives, even children's lives that are not going to be bent toward extending their mission, uh, their Islamic mission, they just have a low regard for them, and often that ends up either being torture or a disregard for their humanity and killing them. And so this uh, priest has decided to leave and flee the country um, uh, with 14 children. All right, so some of the um, maybe things to think about as you're listening right now, uh, Nick and I are going to take a very brief break, but a few things to think about here. First of all, what does it say that there's only one Catholic parish in Afghanistan, and it was established in 2002. Like, what does that say about um, this, the realities on the ground in this country for a very, very, very long period of time? Um, and then the question of if, you're, if you go somewhere in mission, if God sends you somewhere in mission, how long do you stay and when do you leave? And is it faithful to stay? Is it faithful to go? Do you, you, know, do you stay at your post even though they come to kill you? Um, 
do you leave? If you leave, how do you leave? Who do you leave with? Who do you leave behind? All of those kinds of questions and um, and conversations to have. This is a very pro-life story, right? Every life is worthy of the dignity of saving. These 14 disabled children, absolutely um, worthy of of saving. It's also a story about people of light fleeing the darkness. And what mm-hmm. does that say? What does it look like um, for us to be people who abandon our post? I mean, that would that is going to be how this is characterized by some. So I just want you to think through those things as you're listening today. Nick and I have to take a very, very brief break. Um, when we come back, more of the headlines of this day. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I am a All right. For those of you who are asking um, direct questions about stories that we've covered in terms of particular individuals who may or may not have may or may not have gotten out of Afghanistan, we will certainly follow up um, on the question about um, Lamia and we will have an answer for you about whether or not she got out of Afghanistan. Um, Please be praying today. We've got um, a friend who is listening, uh, who just communicated to us from Virginia. Her husband is on the ground in Cutter with Samaritan's Purse, um, and uh, so let's be let's be praying um, for one another this morning and our families and how people are engaged uh, around across America and around the world on behalf of Christ. Um, let's just let's just be blessing one another with prayers this morning. All right, continuing my conversation with Nick Pitts from the Institute for Global Engagement. Um, Nick, um, let's let's if we can, let's pivot. I know you and I have a lot on our agenda this morning. Let's pivot to the death row conversation um, coming out of Texas. I found this story to be um, fascinating. We have a person who is scheduled for execution on September the 8th. His name is John Henry Ramirez, um, and he has become a Christian, um, although he has described himself as having known God all along. He doesn't really see himself as the kind of uh prison convert that maybe others would be described as and he is asking his he is asking that his baptist pastor be able to physically touch him while he is dying let's let's talk about this case as a it's a religious liberty question i sus, i suspect but it's a christian asking for something which is a little bit different than what we have faced in the past yeah you know there's i, I want to be um to set the contextual picture, we often think of prisons as just this, these places of darkness. But I, I need us to know that that God is on the move um, mm. significantly in the American prison system right now. I've got a dear friend that has retired and has given his life to riding motorcycles to everywhere, from, to various prisons all throughout Louisiana and Texas and Oklahoma and Kansas, Leavenworth, etc., And it is just powerful, the work of ministries like Awana um, and various other ministries or have in Lifeline to be able to connect individuals that are in prison back with their families and to restore these relationships that are so broken due to separation and um, error on the behalf of these individuals that are having to pay for their penalties. So there is a significant work of revival that's happening right now. I don't use that word lightly. A great work that's happening right now in our prison system because we have individuals that have decided to care for those like they are of Jesus um, on on the inside while they're paying rightly for their crimes, but also seeing that the prison system is more than just a place of punishment. 
but it's also a place of correction. And more than that, you have individuals that are meeting their maker in ways that are redeeming and sanctifying them, and God is saving them faithfully. And so this is one of those stories that when I read Carmen, I just thought, yeah, this is, of course, this is a, a guy that's seen the bottom and he's found that grace is deeper and he's been washed. And now he's, he's asking, he's, he's not trying to evade his punishment, but rather is trying to um, cling to the one that, um, and, and really find some semblance of meaning in another way. Totally. 100%. Okay. So um, no one is arguing, in, including this individual, no one is arguing that he is not, um, guilty of and responsible for a horrific murder. Mm-hmm. He is. He confesses mm-hmm. as much. Um, he, he regrets it deeply, and he is going to die um, mm-hmm. for, his, uh, for, for his sins, um, for his crime. Um, that's not what he's arguing. He's not even really asking to not be put to death. He's simply asking. I don't know if it's simple or not. He is asking that as he is executed, his pastor would be present um, to physically touch him. I mean, lay hands on him. One of the things that struck me in in this piece is this is a person who's literally his only physical human contact, his only physical human contact has been um, what he, you know, the what he feels when handcuffs are either put on or removed from him. That's it. There is no other physical touch in this person's life. And there hasn't been um, the entire time he's been in prison. Like, that's it. That is it. And that in and of itself, I will say, struck me. Yeah, there's, you know, there's a lot of social science research and physiological research out there that indicates like the power of touch quite literally has has the power to comfort us when we're down and also to bring calmness and, and to ease anxiety. And so we know there's great power to touch, right? And we even see it in the biblical narrative. We see uh, doubting Thomas ha- having the opportunity to be able to touch the very nail-scarred hands of Jesus being the one that being a way to be able to ease doubts. We see the power of touch with Jesus touching it and the blind man's eyes to be able to restore sight. We see the power of touch with the woman uh, grasping at the hem of Jesus and being healed. There is a great power in touch, both we know from a scientific standpoint as well as from a biblical standpoint. And now we're seeing it played out in this recent headline. Now, this individual that just wants the power of touch in this moment um, as he is going to experience his last on this side of eternity. All right. And so um, I know if you're listening right now, there are those of you thinking, well, he didn't offer any sort of comfort or grace to the person that he killed. Yeah, I I totally 100 percent recognize that. Um, That's not the conversation that we're having right now. We're having about we're having a conversation about this person and what's going to happen when this person dies, Um, recognizing Mm -hmm. that we are a people um, who control that, like, because this is a we the people decision um, as people of the United States of America. And so um, who are we going to be at the death of this individual? Um, Mm -hmm. Not disregarding in any way the death uh, of the person whose life he took. That, you know, it's like I get all of that. I get all of that. Um, All right. So um, uh, I will I will confess to you, Nick, as I read this, it might have been more legitimate, I don't know, since laying on of hands is not actually like a sacrament in the Baptist church, and this guy, you know, is Baptist, it would be maybe more appropriate for him to ask to be baptized prior to his execution than to ask for the laying on of hands. Yeah, I'm not even quite sure. When I read the article, I thought, well, I mean, I, I, one, is it, is it safe for the 
for the minister to lay on hands during this time. But I, I kept on. It's thinking, lethal injection. It's not. A, it's not um, electrocution. So I suspect yes. Yeah, and so then I thought, well, is I just have I, I want to be very I want to be sensitive because obviously we're here in the U.S. that you have you have certain rights until you pass and you have certain rights that are ex- afforded to you um, at your last moments, such as like the, the last meal, et cetera. Um, but I'm also keenly aware of just the of the president that it takes um, moving forward. That the, if you give this individual totally. this, thing, um, know that this is going to be a president that's moved forward past him as well. Totally, one hundred percent. Yep. And the um, the extension of rights to one individual is ultimately the extension of rights to every individual. And this person's faith is Christian, but another person's mm-hmm. faith might not be. And yeah, you're you're mm-hmm. exactly right. It's it's complex. And I thought I would tee it up because it's going to dominate um, the headlines at least uh, for you know a 24 hour period of time surrounding the 8th of September when this uh, execution is scheduled to take place. And it will revive conversations in the country um, about uh, about the death penalty and the places in the country where the death penalty is carried out with yeah. relative with relative swiftness. I mean, there's this person has mm-hmm. been on death row for 10 years, but that's a short period of time in terms of how long um, people are on death row in other states. Hey, the, which uh, Sirhan Sirhan or Sirhan Sirhan, I don't exactly know which way I'm supposed to be pronouncing that, m- maybe may be paroled, um, actually has qualified to be paroled, which that conversation is one maybe we'll have the next time you're on. That sounds like a great come We'll it's, enter into the Kennedy family drama that's splitting the totally, family. Totally. Right the now. unfolding Kennedy family drama. That's right. Hey, we got to leave it right there. Nick, thank you so much. Get well, be well. Um, blessings on you as you prepare for your taking of your nuptials. All kinds of great stuff. All right, Nick, bless oh, you, my friend. Well, thank, you. thank you. Absolutely. All right, we got uh, we got to take a very brief break. We'll be right back. Hey, you guys know there's an Air Force mom out there. Um, we prayed yesterday for her son who was flying um, on behalf of the U.S. Air Force. His crew flying exhausted, she says, um, but thank you for praying for him. They needed your prayers yesterday, flying to get refugees where they needed to go. Um, so one of the things that uh, goes on in my house is, ever, is that we pull out a map or the globe. We have a physical globe that sits on a desk. And we, we pray using that physical item. Um, and so last night we actually just unrolled a big um, world map. So it was flat. And we traced with our fingers from Afghanistan the places where we understood planes to be flying. And as we just traced with our fingers, we just prayed over those flight, flight, flight paths. And so let me just encourage you to use those tangible things that God gives us, like maps, um, to be prayer tools in your life. Um, and be praying today for our service members, who uh, many of whom would would want to go back and get more people if they could. Um, but that mission is over, and so now let's be praying for those who are um, going to be leading people out over land routes, and for those who will be figuring out once the airport is reopened how to get back in and get others out. So um, I have texted. Um, General uh, John Bradley, and we will give you an update on uh, Lamia as soon as we have one. Let's continue our prayers. All right, joining me next is Luke Moon from the Philos Project, and he and I are going to continue the conversation about what's going on um, in the Middle East. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. 
Remember as a kid, your mom or dad would say, I told you so. If you're like me, it probably didn't inspire warm fuzzies in your relationship, did it? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. When you made mistakes, you didn't want to hear your mom and dad rub it in. And your kids don't want to feel shame from you when they've made mistakes either. When they've messed up, beware of using comments like, you should have listened, I hope you learned your lesson, or I told you so. You don't have to shame your kids. They already know they made a mistake. Instead, stay quiet. Let the consequences teach the lesson and continue to love your child through the entire situation. Maybe you'll be the one to break the generational saying, I told you so. Do you have teenagers under your roof? Find more encouragement and helpful resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org. The wise men will bow down before the throne. And at his feet, they'll cast their golden crowns. All right, joining me now, Luke Moon from the Philos Project. You can find him at philosproject.com. Luke, welcome back. Thank you. Good to talk to you, Carmen. Okay, so um, I I was listening, obviously, to news reporting last night related to the final withdrawal of um, of American troops from Afghanistan, and the reporter that I was listening to seemed to conflate the Muslim Brotherhood, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, ISIS-K, the Haqqani Network, and the Taliban. So I was wondering if maybe as a starting point, we could just sort out a few of those threads because they're not all the same. Right. Right. Um, well, yeah, the Taliban is is mostly a it's actually very related to the region of, of Afghanistan. There's a Pakistan Taliban and there's there is an Afghanistan Taliban, but it's largely a group that that formed out of the the, the mountains of Afghanistan. And they're originally some of the, well some of the original people because it's been a long time now uh, were were actually fighters who were resisting uh, the Soviet Union in the 80s. Uh, you know, there's some movies about U.S. kind of helping to push the, the the Soviets out of Afghanistan and and funding them with weapons. It, you know, so this, they're they're not really connected to to the Muslim Brotherhood in in any real way. Uh, ISIS is, you know, is a um, does it, it has a somewhat of a connection to the Muslim Brotherhood, but they're they're basically. You know they've gone they've gone way past and actually the ISIS has is is a or ISIS K I should say is a group that is way beyond what the Taliban is basically they're like oh the Taliban they're weak now they're soft they got you know they're actually they're, can you believe they're hanging out in hotel rooms and actually talking to reporters uh, you know they're 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 the like really zealous hardcore ones right and and Al Qaeda and and ISIS, that those two can fight each other. They're really, you know, various degrees of uh, of terrorist organizations. They're all they're all Islamic, uh, and they're all uh, Sunni tended or tend to be Sunni, uh, but yet they they also um, are are kind of they'll, they'll fight each other given the chance right so it's not it's not uh it's not like they're they're kind of all united on any real one thing other than you know they they all kind of want uh you know the return of the 
the the uh, the Islamic Ummah, the you know the unifying feature of Islam around the world. Okay, so that's very helpful, um, and I think that when when we talk about um, people in other parts of the world, you know, sometimes geography is a challenge to us. Um, sometimes the fact that it's tribal is a challenge to us. But the religious aspects of the conversation are a challenge to us as well because we don't we did not grow up in the environment where there are so many expressions of um, of Islam. Like we tend to lump all Muslims together. And I so I just thought that at least starting with a conversation that, hey, we're actually talking about unique people groups. There is um, there's geography related to this conversation. You don't hear conversations about Taliban in Australia, like right. You might hear conversations um, about Muslim extremists of one variety or another, but it won't be the word Taliban because that is geographically bound to the region of the world that we're talking about, specifically Afghanistan, but also part of Pakistan. And and so the the ISIS K conversation is different than a generic conversation about ISIS um, because ISIS operates in other parts of the world as well and has all kinds of expressions. This particular one, um, ISIS-K, sees the Taliban as weak, and therefore we're now going to see the Taliban, which is in charge in Afghanistan now, but it is an insurgent group. It is now going to be defending its hold on the country against this other insurgency known as ISIS-K. Is that one way to see what's happening. It, it is. It's, it, it is important to see that, you know, there are varying degrees of, of extremist uh, forms, forms of Islam, for sure. Uh, all, all kind of have, have, do have kind of, you know, a kind of uh, a major vision for what they expect Islam to look like around the region. They're all very zealous in their, in their interpretation of Islam you know, for them, the an Islamic Reformation is is returning to the 700s, right? Like, you know, that was the pure days of Islam, uh, and and they want to go back there, and they want to take everybody back there with them, right? But the other thing to keep in mind is that, you know, I think one of the one of the biggest challenges I think for Americans when when they think of of Islam in the region is that just because someone will self-identify as as Islamic or 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 Muslim doesn't mean they actually know anything uh, about the faith. And same thing with Christian, too. I remember I was in you know, move move context here, but I was in uh, Nazareth getting a, a haircut and and I was talking to the guy who was making cutting my hair. And I said, so are, are you are you Christian? Are you are you Muslim? He goes, yeah, I'm, I'm Christian. And I said, well, well, uh, you know, where do you go to church? He goes, go to church. What do you mean? I'm an atheist, right? <laughs> and we, we we can't comprehend that, right? Because our assumption is like people who who self-identify religiously actually believe the the tenets of their faith. But what you what you really find in the region is that it's a it's a marker of of tribal identity. Right. And it's and it's in that's why you like the difference between the, the Shia and the Sunni. But then you get the, the Alawites and the Druze and the Christians and the Christians, you know, are are, you know, they'll they'll identify differently. But whether they've their actual adherence to any of those religious traditions is you cannot 
um, know just because they self-identify as as part of that religion. It's the, the religion is a is a marker of identification, not necessarily of one of adherence to the tenets of the faith. All right, Luke, let's take a very brief break. Um, when we come back, um, I'd love to talk with you about what's going on in Israel, the Biden-Bennett uh, visit, um, and, and any other headlines from the Middle East that you want to touch on, because we've got a lot, a lot of ground we could cover today. We're talking with Luke Moon. He's helping us to understand from a Christian worldview a, a part of the world which most of us will never set foot um, in. And even even those who live in that part of the world, like the ground is shifting pretty quickly in terms of the geopolitics of the day. And all of it is driven by a religious narrative. So Luke is helping us understand that. You can find him at philosproject.com. We'll be right back. All right, continuing my conversation with Luke Moon from the Philos Project. You can find them at philos, P-H-I-L-O-S, philosproject.com. Um, Luke, let's talk about the, let's pivot toward the nation of Israel. Let's pivot uh, our conversation to the Biden-Bennett visit um, and anything there that you think we should know about. Well, yeah, uh, you know, I, I was uh, a lot of people sent around, uh, you know, the, the, the tweet of, of Biden supposedly falling asleep in that conversation with, with Bennett. Uh, there's there's now been a bunch of fact checking on whether or not that was actually the case. I, I'm I'm suspicious of fact checkers at this point, so I don't know who to believe, but it did look like he kind of fell asleep. But the you know, that the, the uh, Biden, Bennett administration in Israel uh, you know, as they were getting off the plane uh, in back in Israel, they they you know said it was an excellent visit. It was very successful. Uh, you know, the goal of of the Bennett administration in Israel was to was it was first of all it was the first meeting uh, between the two leaders between Biden and and Naftali Bennett, and it was you know the the goal was to kind of get on the same page about the Iran nuclear deal. Uh, part of that was, you know, the, the Bennett administration basically saying, like, we got to make sure that Iran doesn't get the nuclear weapon and, and don't go back into the deal. Uh, the Biden administration seems, you know, as committed as ever to uh, to getting a deal. I don't think they have anybody on the Iranian side who is, who is willing to give any concessions? Uh, I mean, the you know, there's been air quotes elections in Iran since since Biden took office, and the guy in charge right now is is a hardliner, like a hardliner, hardliner. Like you know, we're not we're not backing down. We are getting the nuclear bomb, right? That's that's his position, and and the Biden administration seems to to. to you know, really continue just to be, you know, negotiating along as if everything's fine and, you know, a deal's just around the corner. And unfortunately, it might be the same kind of deal as the deal that the Biden administration struck with the Taliban as they walked out of Kabul, right? I just, it's, it's you know, Bennett wants a death of a thousand cuts. Let's make them, you know, not let Iran get the bomb. Uh, and And the Biden administration did add to their list of negotiators, the former ambassador to Israel, a guy named Dan Shapiro, uh, that move was was 
seen positively by actually, you know, both the kind of the, the more conservative side of American Jewry and the more progressive side both thought that was a good move on on the part of Biden. It's it's probably a smart move politically. Whether you know the same guy that that failed to to get the American, uh, you know, Senate to to hold the line on the Iran deal, uh, you know, can 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 do it again. Uh, I, I don't think I don't think I don't think so. So it's it. You know, it was a good meeting. I think both sides said it was a good meeting, uh, but you know, the the real test, and this is this is you know, the direction this is all going to go, will be whether or not, uh, you know, over the next uh, several months, who tests us and and what our our kind of tail between our legs, running from Afghanistan and leaving Americans behind, uh, that is going to shape global politics for the foreseeable future and everybody is going to test our will i mean everybody meaning the big powers that are against us so i don't expect iran to be in any way fearful of us right now i expect china to to test us i expect turkey to test us and um anybody else who who is of the mind wants to kind of poke at us i think we right now appear weak and we are led by people who are weak, it seems. Um, making the connection back to our earlier conversation, when we we have we have somebody saying, okay, so what kind of Islam is practiced in um, Iran? When we're talking about Iran, we are talking about predominantly Shia Islam. Am I correct? Because in our conversation earlier, we were talking about varieties of Sunni Islam. So, am Am I yeah, right? You're correct. You're correct. Iran, Iran is Shia, right? And it really, I mean, the, the, the Shia Sunni split comes down to, you know, just after Muhammad died, who kind of like, who, who who's really in charge of this thing, right? And they split over whether it was the, 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 the family relationship or whether it was his most dedicated followers. Right. And and uh, that that Sunni Shia split is actually what's driving most of the conflict in the region. You know, it's the it's the reason that the Yemen is is a mess. It's the reason that Syria is a mess. Uh, some degrees it's 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 the same. Uh, it's, it's Iraq. Sunni and Shia are at each other's throats. It's it's like, uh, you, you know, you got to go. It's like old school. Uh, Protestant Catholic fight, right? From whether it was our thirty-year war, the hundred-year war, um, before the Treaty of Westphalia, it's it's like in that kind of uh, of space. And so, the again, the the Taliban are are Sunni. I mean, they'll 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 form alliances if they have you know somebody to unify to fight against, right? But as soon as they they don't they they can't fight against somebody together, they'll fight each other. So which is kind of human nature. I I I think that's very common in lots of regions in the world and lots of history. And in well, and so, too, right? Right. And that perspective I though, I think is really really helpful. So don't don't, you know, me and my brother will fight. Right? <laughs> right. Exactly right. You can't fight with my brother. I mean, if you're going to fight with my brother, then I'm going to fight alongside my brother. But as soon as your back is turned, I'm going to fight my brother. Right. That's the. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that that perspective is really helpful because we tend to imagine we live in this 
really unique time of world history, and nothing like this has ever happened before, and and there is much hand-wringing. And I'm not saying that, that we shouldn't be wringing our hands because these are very tense and contentious times, but this is not unique in uh, in the way that religious subgroups and then larger uh, dominant religious groups have struggled with one another to the point of war across all of human history. And so when we have one group of people that would very much like to take all of us back to um, the period of the 700s, um, and we have other groups that would like to see, you know, no religion whatsoever among any of us, and, uh, and let's let's all live with peace and daisies, like those two groups of people are not going to peaceably coexist, even uh, even if, well, they can't, they can't. Their worldviews are right. entirely different from one another. And I just think that right. that's helpful every once in a while for folks to recognize. Yeah, but it's also, it's important to recognize that, you know, like, the, you know, the Bolsheviks were atheists <laughs> and they ended up taking over Russia, right? Mm-hmm. You know, there's these moments in history. One of the things that's important to keep in mind, it doesn't take a lot of people to, A, take over a country and then, B, ruin the world, right? Because, you know, only 5% of Nazi Germany ever joined the Nazi party, right? Only 3% of the people in the South ever owned slaves. Uh, I, I, I checked, and it turns out that, like, there's only, you know, only 14% of Afghanis support the Taliban, right? But here we are, right? And how many, mm. what percentage of... Of Russians were part of the Bolsheviks, right? I I don't actually know off the top of my head, but it does. It seems one of the things about history that is important to keep in mind, especially you know as as even things change around the world with you know with with you know it, it seems a lot of people are very compliant most of the time. They'll get along to 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 stay alive or just not rock the boat. They're more interested, you know, if I rock the boat, I'll lose my job or I'll lose my life or, you know, I'll lose my family or whatever. And, you know, when they, they're just not going to to fight. That's that seems to be the case in most places in the world and 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 in most of history. So it doesn't take a lot to to ruin a country and to ruin the world, it seems. <laughs> All right. On that cheery note, uh, Luke, thank you, as always, <laughs> for joining us. No, I mean, no, it's a super healthy perspective, and you're exactly like, right. I'm, I'm like the, the donor at no, the clock on no, you're the not. morning. All right. We, we promise we're going to find joyful headlines for Luke Moon to cover. Um, at, at some point, we got to talk about the persistence of the Samaritans. Like, that was a really interesting story that you and I both read in the New York Times. Um, the the Samaritans still exist. So at some point, we got to talk about that. There there are still Samaritans. We don't ever talk about them. All right. Um, that is it for the first hour of Mornings with Carmen. We are going to have another hour um, up next. We're going to cover some uh, headlines here in the United States since we've pretty much spent uh, most of the first hour outside of the borders and boundaries of this fine nation God has the whole world in his hands. Don't forget that. Like, God has not lost control of the narrative. He is still the author of our salvation. Um, There is good news. The good news triumphs over the bad news. There is light in the darkness. We are the people of that light. Um, So those are things that I want us to remember and underscore in the midst of the developing narrative on the world stage. We've got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. 
If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.